everyone. Welcome back to the Music Business Lounge. We are so excited. We have a really great guest with us today. He's an award-winning composer and music editor based out of Wellington, New Zealand. You've seen his work all over the place uh, in films like Peter Jackson's The Hobbit franchise, uh, The Lovely Bones, District 9, and many, many other projects of all shapes and sizes, uh, which have earned him lots of recognition, uh, many awards, including multiple Golden Reel nominations, uh, and many, many more. And he was also the music editor on, I believe, the current number one film in the world this past weekend, Wolf Warrior 2. Ladies and gentlemen, please... Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Stephen Gallagher. Welcome. Oh, Jeff, that's a thank you very much. That's an incredible introduction. Thank you, and um, I hope. Wow, <laughs> I hope I can live up to that. That's 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 uh, immensely kind and very generous of you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Noah, absolutely. We are we're so happy to to have you here. And Noah, I I feel like I take such pride in giving an intro that really represents our guest. So it means a lot that that you think uh, my my intro, you know, did did you well. So thank you for that 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 compliment. <laughs> and uh, I mean, lots to work with though uh, in your in your background and your accomplishments, Stephen. I mean, so much uh, so much that you've accomplished. So many people that you've worked with, and I want to get into all of that. Right. Uh, but before we begin. How are you? How is life uh, over over in New in New Zealand? Uh, how's your day going, Jeff? Thank you very much. My day's uh, my day's going great. It's a little after eleven o'clock uh, on Friday morning here in New Zealand in Wellington. Um, family's great. Weather's great. <laughs> I'll, I'll Coffee's say great. We're all good. <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous. I'm over here in Boston. I love Boston, but um, y- you know, I definitely would love to get over. Uh, to new new zealand uh it's just from what i've seen and what i've heard uh an incredible place uh and i'll also say uh say say this i think it's inspired you to compose some great music do do you use your your surroundings as a uh as as inspiration when you're writing not to get too deep into things uh right off the bat here but living in in a beautiful place like like that i I imagine can can be a source of inspiration i think that's a really good question and i think um whether i'm aware of it or not uh i think it plays a massive part in um certainly the the music that i make um it's, I don't know where I live, Wellington, so it's the capital of New Zealand. It's quite a small town, um, and it's famous for many things. Uh, one of them is the coffee, <laughs> and the other is um, the wind. It's, uh, it's a pretty windy city, and it's, it's kind of based around this sort of harbour uh, and uh, sort of crowned with kind of hills and one of the things that kind of now i think about it it kind of occurs on a um, a pretty much daily hourly basis is that the wind here is is can be really really strong so as you're walking around um or in, in your house or or you're you're anywhere you're often hearing sort of things kind of resonating sort of being um by being triggered by the wind um whether it's kind of like this morning, uh, as I was walking to work there, we have a, a, a bottle recycling program that happens here on Monday, on, on Fridays. 
and um, all these kind of empty bottles in these containers in the streets with the wind going across them sort of producing these kind of beautiful sort of resonances and um, yeah, sort of, you know, things like that. Uh, so on one level, those are the things that I'm aware of, but um, I'm sure there's a lot of things about our respective geographical locations that have, you know, huge ramifications or huge influences on our respective um, work, whether that's music or, you know, whether that's being a pastry chef. Um, I, I, th I think your environment influences you a great deal more than you than you kind of realize. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are some, uh, some deep and in incredible thoughts. They're just taking sort of those, those little things that you might even, you know, uh, in particular look over in your day-to-day -day life and how that can turn into something that inspires you. Uh, very cool. And I'd like to, you know, to build on that, um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, growing up, how you got interested in this line of work, in music, uh, and how you began your, your journey to where you are today. Sure. Uh, well, um, I was, uh, I wasn't born in Wellington. I was born in uh, Auckland, which is the biggest city in New Zealand. But I only lived there for two and a half years, and then my my entire family moved to Japan. We lived in Tokyo then for uh, I think it was about three years. Um, so that I think had a, at that I, actually now that I think about it had a massive massive effect on me, um, and. Like going into that environment where bright lights, lots of sounds, just a, a fascinating kind of wonderland, especially for a kid. Um, what a complete culture change, you know, just it, making it was, uh, yeah. But actually, to be honest, it was just like magic. It was amazing. The culture shock came when we came back to New Zealand. <laughs> that was a culture shock. <laughs> um, and um, so from there, uh, my dad's job he worked for um at the time he worked for the bank of new zealand uh and it saw us kind of move around as a family a little bit so uh fiji um england um but uh, i spent majority of my like high school years in, in wellington and uh i guess i started being interested in music as a teenager um I started doing music lessons at school just because I think it was part of the curriculum at the time. Sure. Uh, and then got interested in rock music and started playing rock music with some friends of mine and was kind of interested in music um, more in, in the sense of kind of, you know, like being in bands and, and rock music and things like that. Um, really fascinated with synthesizers from, from like from about age 11 because i remember seeing a video of i think oh in fact no i know the band was like duran duran and the keyboard <laughs> player was nick rhodes and from i think i don't know maybe i was 11 and i was looking at this video and looking at this guy behind these kind of mysterious compelling looking electronic boxes i had no idea what they were but they they were kind of mysterious and um yeah magical looking and the sounds that sort of came out of them as far as I could tell were kind of unearthly and I uh, immediately kind of gravitated to the idea that people there were people in the world whose job it was to operate these machines and bands I was like wow I want to do that too so um, awesome. I was studying music through high school and towards the end of high school I didn't really know what I was going to do I just thought maybe I would 
play in bands and I hadn't really given <laughs> as sad as it sounds now, um, beyond high school much thought. Um, sure. and then one day our music teacher put on a cassette of 20th century composers. And up to this moment, we'd been studying, uh, you know, kind of the titans of, of, of uh, classical music or romantic music or Baroque music, you know, Bach, Mozart, um, sure. that kind of, uh, those kind of guys. <laughs> um, and I, I, from, from a technical point of view as a teenager, I, I was listening to this music thinking, well, you know, it's, it's impressive and I, you know, but I didn't really connect with it on an emotional level. And then when my teacher put this t- cassette of 20th century music on, the very first thing was a piece by George Crumb. And I'd never heard anything like it. It blew my mind. And I still remember actually now sitting in that classroom, it felt like I'd left my body. And I listened wow. to this music. And then following that, that had like the biggest kind of effect on me. But, but the music following that was like um, Karlheinz Stockhausen, Berrios, Anarchus, um, Jack Body, uh, and who else? Um, I think there might have even been some Messian in there as well. And it just blew my mind. And suddenly I thought, there are people writing music like this, and this is a thing you can do. This is definitely what I want to do. This is amazing. Uh-huh. So I uh, went, oh, actually, no, my mother. My mother had a friend who was teaching at the music school in Wellington uh, in, at university. And she said to me, look, if you're interested in music, I have this friend who knows Ross Harris, who's a New Zealand composer and uh, lecturer at the university there. He likes synthesizers. I know you like synthesizers. Why don't you go and talk to him? So I went and visited Ross and Ross took me into his electronic studio and my mouth fell open. Like they had modulus synths, they had Fairlight, they had all this stuff that, you know, as a teenager, you read about in keyboard magazine or you read about. Or you, uh, and, and I kind of, I just, I was speechless for a while and Ross and I, Ross was so great. He was so generous because, you know, he's a, a celebrated kind of contemporary composer, um, entertaining kind of a wide eyed sort of, um, little kid. (laughs) So, but he was, he was amazing and he was really inspiring and, and he helped me kind of connect the dots a bit between, you know, being interested in rock bands and being interested in contemporary music and electronic music weren't necessarily, um, mutually exclusive. And I said, look, how do I get in here and use this equipment? And he said, well, if you take these courses, then you can do that. I said, so sign me up. So I went through university, studied composition and electronic music for, I think I did an honors degree. Um, during that time at university, I joined a band. Uh, we got signed by Sony records, made a couple of albums, toured around, and then, uh, ooh, yeah, I, I, I left that out of your uh, bio. That's, that's, oh. a huge, that's a huge <laughs> uh, wow. And then basically okay. what happened to, 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 to sort of shorten the story a little bit. Um, the band took a year off and, uh, I was asked by a friend of mine to do some music for their theater production. Um, okay. which was a really fantastic experience. And, open my eyes a little bit more about music for dramatic underscore or music, you know, for use in a dramatic context. Sure. And, uh, after that, I sort of met 
a media composer or uh, and who was also in a rock band. His name was David Long, and he used to play in a band called the Muttonbirds. Um, they were kind of big in New Zealand, and cool. he lived in Wellington. We sort of met over a cup of tea, and a couple of months later, he asked me to be his assistant on a TV show, um, his composing assistant. So I jumped on board with him, and I did two seasons of a TV show with him, which was like amazing. Um, Must have been incredible for your your first experience, you know, doing that. Oh, it was incredible, and he's such a great guy. I mean, he's just such an inspiring kind of um, personality, and it was great, sort of watching how he approached dramatic scoring, and to be involved in yeah, two seasons of a show with him. It was was a dream, really. Um, And after that, oddly enough, the TV production company that was producing the show had an opening in their sound uh, editing department. And I had no no work coming up, so I thought, well, that would be an interesting thing to do. So I joined the sound editing department and was taught by a guy called Mike Hopkins, who was sort of like a a legendary figure in the New Zealand post-production scene, and another uh, fine gentleman called Dayton Lechner, who was um, the dialogue editor. And between those two guys, they taught me how to cut um, effects, cut ambience, cut dialogue, and I sort of worked for on a TV show, uh, I think for about six months with them, and then I left to work on another show as a dialogue editor for a kids TV show. But the whole time um, I was knocking on the door of a guy called Chris Ward who works or used to work out of Park Road uh, post-production. He was the supervising dialogue editor on um, The Lovely Bones. He'd worked with Mike Hopkins as well uh, on The Hobbit. Sorry, on uh, The Lord of the Rings and King Kong. And he was also like a theatre sound designer. And um, I first heard his work when I was a teenager and I went to this theatre production and the sound design blew my head off. It was amazing. And, um, you know, I, I found the name Chris Ward and... Wellington being a pretty small city, it was easy kind of to track him down, you know, especially Wellington <laughs> theatre circles. And so I just began sort of to talk to him and uh, ask about his, you know, what, what his job was kind of entailing um, and basically knocking on his door saying, look, man, if, if, if you ever need someone to come and help you cut dialogue or anything like that, um, I'd be really keen. But... <laughs> One day I got a call from him and he said, hey, look, I don't have anything in my in the dialogue department for you, but how would you feel about coming and cutting a temp score for a movie we've just started working on? Um, I think you're the right fit. And I was like, oh, great. Okay, cool. Um, and the movie was The Lovely Bones and the, wow. the composer was Brian Eno and who's been a long hero of mine. So I, I remember the first day. Come, oh, man, yeah. it was amazing. Like, I couldn't believe I was sitting in a room with, with Brian Eno's like, new music that he'd been composing for this film. Um, wow. It was just mind-blowing. And, and up until then, I hadn't really thought that a music editor was even a job that 
a existed or two I could even do. But um, I, I put the temp score together for the film with um, with Fran Walsh, and I mean she's amazing. You know, like as a as a as a musical um, a, a musical brain, she's extraordinary. You know, and so working with her, putting this the the temp score together, it was just like an incredible learning curve and um i really enjoyed it and we put the temp score together she was happy with it brian was happy with it and then they asked me to stay on to work on the rest of the film and um that's pretty much (laughs) (laughs) what i've been doing in one guise or another since then which is that's almost 10 years ago so um since then i've been editing and composing for all sorts of all sorts of projects and um yeah i'm sorry that was a, a rather long and rambling story jeff so <laughs> no, it, it absolutely <laughs> I, I love um you know I, we're here to learn from you and to get your your insights so never feel like you are rambling um <laughs> i we want you to talk uh, and, oh, and and awesome. give us all the all the info you can but you you know i you know, just just to hear you sort of talk about that trajectory from you sort of realizing that you had that passion in 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 high school, and then just where you've taken that, you've built upon that, and just made the connections and your you know your skill set and grown into you know such a talent that people are, are recommending you and want to work with you. I think that's a powerful lesson, you know, for for everyone that when you recognize that you're passionate about something, uh, you know, you are living proof that you went for it and you're having huge uh, huge success with it now. So that's just uh it's great to hear. Oh, <laughs> I mean like it's it's um yeah, it feels like a lot of luck, you know, but um it also uh I feel really lucky to have had these kind of opportunities. It's been amazing to sit, to sort of learn so much and just, man, um, there are, I think, you know, if you're lucky in life to find people who can mentor you and who you can learn from, um, and who you have a good working relationship with, man, hold on to that and nurture it because, um, uh, it, it, it can be, just such a joyful experience, you know, and, um, again, whether that's music or, or, you know, whether you're making wine or whatever, it's, uh, it's having those people to sort of look up to learn from it's, it's like the best. Um, and actually I've just started, uh, for the very first time in my life, I have an intern now and, um, I just, oh. that feels, that feels awfully grown up, but, um, it's, it's, uh, quite an amazing experience. I'm so far. Being able to pass on your, your, your knowledge. I'm sure and, you know, I, I, from, from what I know of you and uh, us, us talking, I think that's a very lucky intern to be, uh, to be working under you. So oh, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a little bit the other way around, actually. She's, um, <laughs> uh, she's really good. In fact, she's, um, she's part of this university course out of Victoria university where I, where I studied. Um, they have now, um, a creative and masters, uh, sorry, a masters in creative art and she's specializing in film scoring. And, uh, it's quite amazing talking to somebody who's, you know, who's in the middle of studying and just their knowledge already. Um, it just seems so vast. <laughs> it's quite daunting. <laughs> I've got to up my game. <laughs> 
Well, I'm sure uh, I'm I'm more than confident that she would be equally as uh, complimentary to to you, and I'm sure you've uh, you've been a big part of of growing that 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 knowledge base. Let let me ask you this. So I'd I'd like to learn a, a little bit about your sort of. Uh, creative process right now uh i i want to bring up uh and of course you 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 can talk about anything you like in in relation to your creative process but of course you know the 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 hobbit movies uh i I know you you know you you did your editing on on those and you also composed uh some some source music uh for for the films Uh, i know you also uh worked with Ed Sheeran yes. uh, on his his original song uh, that he tracked for that that movie. So I'd love to hear maybe in the in the context of the Hobbit talk a little bit about, you know, your your process and what work was like on on on, on those films. I'd love to hear about that. Sure. Well, um it was like a real joy to work on those films. Um one of the greatest things that came out of it for me was meeting a gentleman by the name of Mark Wilshire. Mark Wilshire uh, is a music editor, scoring engineer, mixing engineer. He lives in London now, but at the time he was living in San Francisco. And I'd heard his name sort of mentioned around the halls of Park Road Post. And, you know, his name was usually spoken with reverential tones about this guy, this magical music editor from, uh, from San Francisco who, uh, you know, who saves the day. Um, and after hearing, you know, hearing his name for like five years, to finally meet him was quite, quite amazing. And, um, wow. I, the first day he arrived, I sort of blurted out, Oh my goodness, it's great to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Um, would you mind if I sat in, <laughs> sat in on one of your sessions? And he sort of looked at me quizzically and he said, yeah, okay. So I sat, <laughs> so he kindly let me sit on one of his sessions and I was watching him and within five minutes, I was always uh, already kind of asking him, like, you're doing things that are, in Pro Tools, which was the you know the digital audio workstation that we work in at the sure. moment. Um, he was doing things in Pro Tools that I'd just never seen anyone do before, and I was like, "What? Well, how did you do that?" And um, from there, basically, another kind of real like blessing having meeting this guy and just he out of anyone has taught me kind of what music editing can be and he's raised the bar so high he's for me he's like the god of music editing he's he's um he's just the guy you want on your team um when you when you're working uh in with anything music related um Um, and i you know we we worked together and then we sort of like you know we got to hang out and become friends and i mean i just look up to him uh, I can't say um, enough about how good he is and how inspirational he is, but he really opened my eyes to what music editing, the potential of it, what it could be, and the standards that that you know should be the benchmark standards, what they should be. And I, I, um, I still <laughs> struggle every day to to sort of to get there. Um, uh, so that was you know one one part of the Hobbit. It was really learning about the intricacies and um, skill of skill set around music editing. Um, we started off on the first film. Um, I, oh, that, yeah. Um, 
Peter and Fran asked me to write uh, a song called The Blunt and the Knives, basically set that to music, um, which was like amazing. I couldn't believe it. Um, uh, they, and as far as the creative process for that goes, um, they were fairly generous and with their, you know, they said, look, we want this song to be kind of boisterous and like almost like a pub sing-along, um, you know, after everyone's kind of a few drinks in, <laughs> you know, so things are a little loose. <laughs> um, and they said, look, you just, just use anything you want and um, make, us, make us a demo and uh, we'll see, we'll go from there. Um, so yeah, I spent a couple of days and, uh, got some friends in to help me sing and, and put the demo together. And, uh, it was a really good time. Um, and we had so much fun making it. Um, it, it, it was like, well, if they don't like it, then, you know, <laughs> we still had a really good time. So I sent it off to them. It, it must have, they they yeah. made a few changes and then it, it was all on. It must have been so incredible to, you know, not only an honor, but I, I mean, my oh, yeah. myself, I'd I'd be pretty nervous to to be to be, uh, you know, charged with with putting putting music to to words that are, you know, yes. such an iconic thing that yes. you know thousands upon thousands of people have have you know seen and re- and related to uh, oh, man. over it's, years. <laughs> it's it was um, I. I, yeah, at first I was really terrified. In fact, no, at first I was really, really terrified and really, really scared. <laughs> but as soon as I got other people, like my, my friends, in to help record it, like just on the vocals, we just had such a good time. And um, that sort of, that those kind of worries, you they, they sort of, they dissipate somewhat. Um, we just, it was just such an enjoyable process. Um, it, that the kind of, yeah, the fears about <laughs> the ramifications of of, uh, of doing it were um, were abated, and uh, so once they they heard the demo, they made a couple of changes, which were yeah, really good changes. And then we um, we recorded uh, backing instruments, and then <laughs> oh, that's right. And then they said, oh, you need to teach the cast how to do how to sing this, and you need to record them. And I was like, what? what, 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 what? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, okay. So I've never really taught anybody to sing before. <laughs> wow. And then all of a sudden I'm standing in a room with the, the core dwarf cast and, uh, and Martin Freeman as well. Wow. And I'm looking around thinking, man, I, I'm fans of some of you. I've been watching you like Richard Armitage. He's on a TV show that I was, uh, called spooks out of the UK, which I like, I, I'd loved for years. And to sort of see him in the same room, I was like, I just, I'm about to pass out. I, I don't, this is just, this is crazy. Um, and you're in charge too. <laughs> yeah. Which was a bit terrifying really because, um, but they were, they were great and they were, I, I, I wanted to make sure that the piece was, um, kind of reflected the intent of what Peter and Fran wanted. Like the, you know, that kind of slightly rambunctious kind of pub sing-along so it's, it is loose it's not it's not pitch perfect it's it's a bit sort of ramshackle um but it's fun and it's boisterous and it feels like it could just kind of collapse at any minute but um uh, yeah and i think i think that the, the the working with those with the cast was a real dream because they were all 
up for it and they just gave great performances and um <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> so um the um part of I don't know part of it seems to be not, a lot of actors when you get them together um uh so there's, there's a almost like a competitive spirit amongst them and <laughs> Um, James Nesbitt, who played one of the, the one of the dwarfs, um, he he said, "Oh, you know, um, I'm not really much of a musician." Uh, on our first meeting, he said something like, oh, "I'm not not really much of a musician, but I'll you know I'll give it a go." And then someone yeah. told me that he was a really incredible musician and that he had this like. Um, he, he played like the pipes or he could play the flute or, or some sort of wind instrument. Wow. And so the next time I saw him, I said, Oh, look, um, I hear that you can play this instrument. And do you think that you'd be up for just bringing it in on the next rehearsal and, you know, just trying out a solo? And he's like, ah, I'm not very good, but I'll, you know, I'll see what I can do. And then the next day he brings it in and in the middle of the song, there's kind of an instrumental solo we weren't really sure what it was going to be. And he just picked up this pipe and just went for it. And the whole room stopped and looked and was like, <laughs> I mean, he was amazing. So that the solo in the that's song, awesome. that, that's, that's him. And, um, it's basically just, wow. like, I'm just, he's, he, yeah, incredible. And all of them are great singers. And the other great thing about writing a song for that was that there was another song, the Misty Mountains, which was written by, uh, David Donaldson, Steve Roche, Janet, and David Long, uh, collectively known as Plan Nine or Plan Nine and Dave Long, they wrote the Misty Mountains, mm. and that's just such a beautiful song. Mm. And between the two of us, it's kind of like a, you, you get to sort of see the two sides of these the, of the dwarven culture. You know, the kind of the the messy, yeah. loud, drunken side, and then the quite beautiful, um, reverential uh side and that was really satisfying to to um to add that to the legacy of uh of dwarven hits <laughs> absolutely what a cool story just uh just in incredible that that you took that and uh you know just w while you were re rehearsing and all that you rolled with it and it uh you know obviously became something uh that just fits right in and really i i think brings out uh all of what those those words were supposed to be awesome yeah. awesome stuff and and then the other thing is um in the i mean wow three films um so that that was the kind of the source music part of it the the editing part of it was quite amazing really because um you know once again peter was working with howard shaw who you know what an incredible composer um and howard was based in he st I think he stayed in New York for most of the post-production and he'd write you know he'd write these incredible sketches and um uh for the first film he'd record in London by the time you know uh as post-production is kind of evolving um things are things have the capability and the um tendency to sort of change uh, constantly right up until the uh, the end of the final mix and um sure. that was 
certainly the case in all three films. So by the time Howard's, some of Howard's music would arrive in New Zealand, um, the picture that the, the, the music was scored for uh, had altered or changed significantly. And uh, it was up to our team down here to make sure that we were, you know, editing the music to the picture to the best of our ability to ensure that the intent of the music that was decided between Howard and Peter was left intact. And I think that's probably, you know, the difference when you asked me earlier about the, you know, the difference between composing and editing, I think maybe that's a, something I, I try to keep in mind when you're composing and if we're talking media composition, you, you, you know, you're working with a director and, and largely your job is to ideally collaborate with the director and find the intent, discover that intent together, the intent of how the score serves the director's film with editing that intent is already being, you know, you're not responsible for, you know, you're, you're largely not responsible for, for, for deciding or, or helping to develop that intent, but your job is to preserve that intent. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're editing, when you're making changes or you're following picture changes as an editor, that's the forefront. Um, that should be forefront on your mind. You are working as hard as you can to preserve the intent um, with which the music was created. Um, so we had a lot of those days on the Hobbit. What, yeah, um, what an incredibly in, in important job too. I mean, just yeah. a, a whole nother, you know, re related, but a whole nother level of, of skill set and making sure that that message and that intent gets across. That's, that's in incredible. We, we had, um, we had a great team down here. And, uh, so for the second and third films, we use the New Zealand symphony orchestra. Um, and for a number of reasons, reason number one was that it allowed us to record the orchestra in Wellington where, where Peter and Fran and Philippa were working so that Peter could attend the sessions, um, you know, himself rather than sort sure. of stay up late to attend the sessions via Skype. Uh, in, in, yeah. in London. Um, Howard was busy writing in, uh, in, in New York and he sent Conrad Pope down to help orchestrate and conduct the NZSO. Conrad Pope is, is an amazing guy, uh, and wow. an incredible orchestrator, fantastic conductor, just a gentleman, you know, and, and, uh, what a career he has. He's extraordinary. So, um, there was one instance where towards the end of the film, Conrad was, uh, working, well, Conrad, we'd, we'd been given a piece by Howard that was about, I think it was 10 minutes long, but the scene that we had to cover was 20 minutes long, but we hadn't got the remaining 10 minutes of picture. So we knew that there were 10 minutes more coming. We didn't know what the picture would look like, but we had a vague idea of what would be happening in it. So between Conrad and Mark Wilshire, they devised a, a, a recording system, um, basically just recording sort of individual sections, recording really wide. So we had this huge, huge long session where 
we um, we split the orchestra into smaller parts and just recorded the smaller parts as solos so that we'd have building blocks um, with which we could make a a longer piece and um, to suit the the end titles. Oh, sorry, not the end titles. The end sequence in film two, where the dragon sort of chases the dwarfs through the mines of Erebor, sure. and wow. um, it was astonishing to see those two work and just just what's possible. Um, and again, they 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 did this, but the the thing that everybody had in in their minds when they were doing this is to preserve the intent with which Howard and Peter had approached the scene. Um, so it, it was almost like having Lego building blocks from the Howard Shaw and Peter Jackson set. <laughs> and, and we got to put them together um, when the picture came in. Um, so the editing side of things was a real learning curve, but, but a huge and enjoyable challenge. Um, uh, recording Ed Sheeran was pretty amazing. Man, what a guy. He's... Um, I absolutely want to hear about that, and I'll just I'll just toss in here Conrad Pope, a uh, a Boston boy, New New England Conservatory of of, of music. Yes, yes, sir. (laughs) But uh, yeah, absolutely, everything you just said is so like what incredible just stuff to hear this behind the scenes and what you know all of you as a team put into making such an incredible experience for millions and millions of people. It. uh, it's it's unbelievable, but yes, uh, I'm very sorry to interrupt, and I'd love no, to hear no, about that. Uh, I think what you're talking about there, Jeff, in, in terms of the team, is absolutely right. The team we we were lucky enough to have was was incredible. I mean, um, we so Mark Wilshire, obviously Conrad Pope. We had um, Peter Common and Kirsty Wiley, who at the time were working out of uh, Abbey Road. They came down to New Zealand. And those two were just, they're, I mean, just dizzying, incredible. So they were recording the NZSO and mixing the scores. And the detail and the passion and the just hard work those two put in to making the score sound so great. It was just, I mean, overwhelming, just breathtaking and inspiring. Seeing people like that, Mark, Conrad, Peter, Kirsty, working at their, you know, full capacity, giving giving every cue, giving every element of recording and mixing the cue their utmost attention and concentration and effort. It's just so inspiring. And when you're around people like that, you just want to, it's just, you naturally just want to raise your game the whole time. And, um, it's magic. Yeah. So, so with Ed Sheeran, um, Fran was, Fran Walsh mentioned that they, they wanted a, a song for the end of the uh, for the movie, and they had some names that they were kind of playing with, but she said that she said oh she said something like oh but if if we can't find anybody we can always ask our friend Ed, and I, I said oh great Ed cool and she's like oh yeah Ed Sheeran and I was like oh great and at this point I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say I'd never I'd never really heard of Ed Sheeran for some reason I thought when she said that I thought she was talking about someone from Radiohead but that's Ed O'Brien so uh, uh, yeah. but um so <laughs> he uh, he flew into down to New Zealand when the, they asked him to come and write write a song and Peter and Fran's daughter um, is a huge fan of Ed and that's how they, they made the connection when Ed first came to New Zealand 
So they asked him to come and do the song. He flew down from London. um, And I met him really brief. Oh, no, we had dinner. That's right. Um, We we all had dinner together. And he, he was just a really like a lovely guy and his manager Stuart came along too. No, just really, really lovely, lovely people. And, and, um, the next day Ed watched the movie, um, in the cut that, uh, in the, in the cut that was current at the time. And then he came up to the room that I was working and said, Oh, look, I think I've got an idea. Um, let's just record it. So we, he started, it was actually amazing. And this is, this is fascinating. He, he said, I've got this idea. And, and he started playing this thing on this guitar and and two things were immediate. One, he was an amazing guitar player. And secondly, the idea was, was really cool. He started playing them, the, um, the, that main intro theme and he just kept working and figuring things out. So we just record him and then, he'd stop and say, well, look, I don't know if that bit's right, but maybe take that bit and put it here. And, and then after he'd got the basic structure of the song on his guitar, he just started overdubbing all of his guitar parts, all the percussion on his guitar until he had kind of a, a backing track, which, you know, was the, the shape and the, um, the color of the, of the song. And then he started recording vocals how he did it i thought was really interesting he didn't do it linearly he sort of went he jumped around and at first just recorded like phonetics wasn't really even words they were just kind of phonetics and and into a kind of a melody and he was just trying to figure it out um i think what the shape and the dynamic and the and the the lyrics are going to be and over time and we're talking like maybe two and a half hours he wrote the entire song and recorded most of it. And then we recorded, uh, all of his vocals here in this room. Um, and then we put a couple of, I think we put a piano or something else on the, and maybe some program percussion and it was done. And wow. just, oh, and the other thing was that, you know, we were recording in the room that I was working out of and there was a huge storm going on that there was this wind, like just crashing around outside, things falling over, things flying around. And, um, we recorded him, yeah, just in this room, like we're next next to a window with a curtain over it, and wow. almost like a bedroom recording, you know. And um, uh, he was just incredible. And like listening to him playing and singing, as I was just recording him, and, and it was just a, uh, it was a joy. I was just like, this, you know, what a talent and what. Um, to see someone come up with something so quickly and, and make it so good was just jaw dropping, really inspiring. And it wasn't like, you know, we had particularly f- a fancy setup. We, he, he just had his guitar. I had like a DPA mic on that. And I think the mic that we had in the room was like a Rode NT1. So, you know, sort of, um, basic stuff really. And it just sounded so good. And, and we, he played it to Peter and Fran, uh, that night they, they loved it. And so the next day we arranged to go into the um, ADR room at Park Road Post um, just to re-record some things and record some cello and violin. So uh, (laughs) the next day we went and we quickly hired a cello player and a violin player and they came in. The cello player did a great job, beautiful. 
line. Um, and Ed basically just played them, uh, you know, the part on his guitar and, and uh, the cello player worked that out. The violin player, I'm not sure what happened because this is a violin player I've worked with before and I think he's very good. Um, he came in and maybe it was just the cameras or maybe he was just having an off day, but he couldn't quite work out the part that Ed was playing to him. Uh, mm. And Ed tried a couple of times and then we went for a couple of takes, but it just wasn't happening. And sure. Ed, got a, Ed got a bit frustrated, which is kind of unusual because he's like, you know, a really nice guy. And at yeah. one point he just turned around and said, I think I could actually play it better than that. And I turned around <laughs> and said, really? Really could you? And he's like, yeah, look, he said, if you can get me a violin, I'll do it. <laughs> And we were like, okay, great. So, all right. So we, uh, Peter and Fran's daughter, um, went and f- borrowed a violin from a school friend, just said, oh, can I borrow a violin? I just, you know, I just want to try it out for the night. And she brought it back here. And, um, <laughs> we went back into the room that I was working out of and Ed played it. And, um, it took him a little while because he, he, he played cello when he was, I don't know, when he was six or when he was eight, and he hadn't played a, str- a, a string instrument for a while. So he sat down and just tried and tried and tried, and then he got it, and he just played it, and that's what you hear. You hear him on the recording doing it. Um, and yeah, That's incredible. Yeah, it's nuts, right? Uh, and then, wow, what happened after that? I think most, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think most of the, what you hear on the finished song is actually the stuff we recorded in, in just this room that I'm sitting in now um, wow. rather than a studio but um, you know uh, Peter Cobb and Kirsty Wiley mixed it so um, I think they're the sort of people that um, if you recorded yourself like vomiting into a toilet they would make it sound like the most beautiful <laughs> thing you'd ever heard so um, because uh, yeah so and the whole time like with with Ed you're just thinking this this person, this talent is absolutely, you know, stunning. And and his whole attitude was so great. It was never if if no one had told me he was, you know, like a, a rock star, I just wouldn't have known. He was just like, you know, just relaxed, down to earth, really friendly, really nice. Um and then when he opened his mouth, it was just like, you know, to sing, it was just jaw dropping. Um beautiful voice, great musician, a real talent. Yeah. And, uh, I feel, I count myself really privileged to have been able to be a, a little part in, um, in that he's, uh, he's the man. What incredible ex- experience just to, just to hear that. And, uh, even beyond, uh, Ed, all of the talent in, in that, in that room, it's just, uh, it's very cool. Very cool. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to to follow that and the entire Hobbit experience that you were just <laughs> describing. Uh, but I would love to ask you to share a little bit. I I opened the uh, I opened the the conversation here today by talking about Wolf Warrior Two, which was oh, the, the one in the world, right? Yes. This this past weekend. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and your other you know current projects uh, that you're 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 working on. Sure. And I know. Wolf Warrior Two. That that they're they're based. That that movie is based in in China, right? Yes, yes, sir. So um, they uh, Wu Jing's company asked Park Road to do the the um, the post production sound on his film, and uh, we. I didn't get involved. I think I got involved in the last six weeks as as the music editor. Um, wow. So the the production was based in. 
in China. Uh, the composer is Joe Trapanese, who's based in LA. So, and he uh, he'd already taken care of his recording arrangements. He he went to to Air Studios in in London to um, to do the recording, and he was mixing. Um, in LA with uh, a guy he works with called Satoshi. Um, and so I, I was basically like a mid, not, not really a midwife, but almost like a babysitter really. So I, I got the music <laughs> sent to me from LA, sounded amazing. And I just made sure that I, to the best of my ability, I preserved the intent, which Joe and Wujing had, um, had decided upon. Uh, we did have, you know, as films tend to do these days, have a lot of picture cuts, a lot of, um, edits to make uh and also some we had to swap out some pieces when uh uh towards the towards the end of the film it was a fascinating process because uh it's on some levels it can be difficult dealing with or a challenge anyway to deal with um a director or any kind of um production company that's based in a different part of the world for you from 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 where you are Sure. But as New Zealanders being at the bottom of the world, we're kind of used to doing it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's further complicated by the fact that um, not many of us in the building are fluent Mandarin speakers. Um, sure. So there seems to be, you know, there's and, and also there's a there's a uh, a cultural approach that is different um, towards film. At, towards this film anyway and the films that we'd been used to working on in the past. And one of the best things about working on this was, well, there's many things actually. Firstly, Joe's music is amazing and Joe Trapanese as a composer you should all watch out for because that guy is incredible. He's insanely talented. Um, he is, I think, someone who's just going to be um, uh, uh, just revered <laughs> by a lot more people than just me in, in the coming years. I think he's an extraordinary composer. Um, so when the, we'd started the final dub and we weren't sure if Wujing, who's the director and also the main actor in the film was going to come down to New Zealand to be present at the, at the dub. So we'd progress to a certain point and we'd send them up like a, um, like a five, one kind of, uh, reference stem of where the mix was at mm. and we'd get notes back and we hired some Mandarin translators to help translate the notes. Um, but as we all know, it's much better if you're working with somebody in the room at the same time on a, on a, um, on a final dub. And when Jing finally came down, he, um, he, I mean, what man, he's the nicest guy. Um, oh. but he's been training as a martial artist since he was six years old. He went to martial arts academy and physically he's just unbelievable. Um, and we were sitting here in this room going over some of the music changes and, um, he, 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 um, I think he, he, his, his understanding of, of English is really, is really fantastic. Uh, he, he's not maybe as a confident speaker, but my understanding of Mandarin is, let's just say needs a lot of improvement. Um, and I can't speak Mandarin, but somehow between the two of us, we managed to, you know, um, 
we managed to work it out and it was all down to and I think you know I, I, I think um, this is something happens a lot um, when you sit down with a director often I get directors saying oh I feel kind of weird talking about music because I don't really know anything about it um, and mm. it's always a challenge to you know um, develop or help develop a, a language and a point of reference or terms of reference um, about music and, and media uh, and I, I, I kind of think that there's different there's no real way to talk about music there's no real correct way to talk about music I think context plays a lot in it for example you know we could sit with a director and talk about the nuts and bolts of music we could talk about minims and um, appoggiaturas and and, and uh, you know um, fortissimo and pianissimo and that's great those are those are technical terms and they're correct technical terms but they don't often help the director to get the sort of the score he wants. I mean, mm. I, I'm always a big fan, and and this kind of reinforced it actually. Working with Wu Jing is that as human beings, we can immediately relate to emotions. Mm. Um, so if you know, and as 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 bass as I want this music to be sad or I want this music to be happy, um, as human beings, we know what that means. You know, we have a we have an instant reaction to happy or sad or or angsty or. Um, and I really feel like that's a good place to kick off a discussion about music, just about how you want to feel, how you want the audience to feel. Um, and maybe the time for technical talking is probably when you're in front of an orchestra because, um, you know, I think that's that's the time to use the technical term for music because it's kind of a little difficult to sort of say, hey, second violins, can you just, I don't know, can you just play that a little bit, bit more sadly, a bit more sadly? You know, <laughs> that, 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 that sort of tends to kind of get kind of wide-eyed odd looks but but with Wu Jing sitting down once we started talking about emotions and the emotions that he wanted the audience to feel at this time it was an amazing experience because the notes that he would give me I'm used to sort of directors sitting down and saying okay let's go here in the timeline let's just say five minutes into real one I feel like this needs to change a little bit maybe we could try a different piece of music because I feel like it needs to play more suspensefully that's what I'm used to yeah. But what happened with, with Wu Jing, Wu Jing would say, well, play from the top. We'd watch through the whole thing and he'd stop when he wasn't happy. And he would say, he would begin his notes with a, with a, like a historical background of Chinese culture. Wow. So it would be like this, you know, you'd, you'd get this background about Chinese culture or, and how it pertained to the scene and the historical precedence for it. And then from there, he would say, well, based on these things, I think we need to do this. And that, that conversation could be like, you know, 45 minutes long, but it would be, you would learn so much from it and you'd be kind of better placed to understand his thinking about how he wanted the music playing and where he wanted it playing um, throughout the film. So it was a really, I mean, in terms of cultural learning, it was, it was like the best, he was the best teacher you could have really. It was, um, it was great. And Joe's music was so fantastic. And the other great thing about Joe was he made his pieces so flexible. He delivered me, um, I think he delivered about 19 five, one stems for every cue. And he said, look, um, you know, there may be things that they want to change and I know there's going to be some big picture changes. So 
I'm going to go wide, so you've got the most flexibility that 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 you can possibly have um, going forward to the to the dub. And thanks to that, and thanks to Wu Jing, and just the the uh, it, it was just a, a really nice collaboration and being able to um, have that flexibility with Joe's music to fulfill Wu Jing's um, intent uh, with the score was just brilliant. Um, I've got a lot of respect for both of those guys. Um, and in terms of the composer, I think Joe is just amazing. Um, wow. Yeah. N- none of us, I, I mean, yeah, all of us were, were very happy that it, uh, <laughs> that it, that it's done so well. It's, that's just amazing. Yeah. That's uh that's incredible. I've, I've got to check it out. Um, uh, of course, I'm I'm in the mi- minority of the world now that hasn't checked it out since oh, it's right. number one. But I, uh, <laughs> I definitely uh, I I I have to uh, I have to to check it out. And wow, what a uh, Jeff, you know. Jeff, I just say check the movie out. Definitely don't wait for the book. D- 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 go <laughs> go and see the movie. It's. Uh... <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I, I typed it into my computer and I see a showtime right, right now. I, th- I think I might, uh, I th- it's, it's at a theater, not too, not too far, far away at all. And, and now I definitely want to hear, uh, more about your current projects too. But before I ask you about those, I'd love to get some some of your insight uh sort of c- career pr- professional uh insight uh and just get your 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 thoughts on a couple of things to to start are there any sort of you know tips or thoughts that stick out to you to to someone that wants to get into you know film composing editing um you know you 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 talked and it, it was some great insight into into your career and and everything that that you've done to to get where you you want to be. But if if you could give someone that is aspiring uh, to to get to where you are and to get into that field, uh, do do you do you have any tips for us on you know good ideas to take with you as 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 you're moving in that direction? Um, that's a really good question. I. I think if we building on from what I was saying earlier when I was talking about meeting good people, I think if you're interested in either editing music for film or composing music for film, it's really a, uh, maybe this is a little bit flippant, but it's really a service industry. You're really, Mm -hmm. you're really, uh, working for other people and largely, helping other people to fulfill their, their larger vision. Um, so that involves, uh, building relationships and meeting people. And, um, ah, that can be kind of a scary prospect. I'm, I'm sure I find it kind of daunting, but I guess my advice would be if you're interested in getting into it, um, Is, is to go and meet people who might be interested in making films. Um, that sounds like a simple thing, but there, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people out there who want to make movies, who want to direct movies. And 
maybe something you could do is just find out where people like that are hanging out. Um, are there places where directors are gathering, hopefully en masse? Um, are there lectures that directors are, are heading to? Are there, are there places that you can go and, you know, make contact or meet with people? Um, the other thing I'd say is if there's someone who is doing what you want to do and in my experience, most people are really generous and, 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 and nice. And I like, I'd, I'd recommend just trying to get in touch with these people. Um, just email them, send them an email or, or through Facebook or through any channel of social media. It's become much easier to sort of reach out to people, um, to, for example, I still get shocked. Like I went to see, was it last year? I went to see a movie called Get Out, which blew my oh, mind. Sure. Man, I thought the score was so good. I went straight home and I wrote, I, I looked up the composer, Michael, is it Michael Abels? On Facebook. Not and I just, sure. I mess, I, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a friend of him, but I just messaged him and just said that your score was so great. It just blew my mind. Thank you. And he wrote back and I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> really but, but basically... It's, it's about like if you, if you can go out and meet someone or connect online with somebody and just sort of, you know, ask for advice or even just take someone out for a coffee or tea or whatever your, you know, your, your um, uh, relaxing drink of choice is, um, <laughs> then, you know, that, that can be really helpful and really great to, to gain insight. Um, there's a, just, just, you know, there's a lot of people who want to make movies out there and those people are going to need someone to write music for them. And it, it may as well be you. Those are such, such good thoughts. And I really, you know, want, want to take what you said and say how much I agree too. uh, our good friend, uh, producer Daryl Swan, uh, you know, brought up a similar idea. He, he said, you, you know, you want to be a good hang and you just want to yeah. be someone that people yeah. want to be around and want to, oh. to, to work with. And, you know, Steven, you're, you're living proof of that. You know, people, it's, it, it seems like a lot of what you've, you know, the foundation of your career has been pe people saying, Hey, this is a talented guy. He's a good guy, guy to work with and recommending you right like it's just you you want to be that kind of person and make those connections um and i think it's it's incredible to to me you know how many successful people i see in in music and in different spaces who it's just you know just be someone that people want to be around that they want to work with so very powerful stuff you know well you know what i mean it's always like i just finished this film called human traces and it's like an indie feature out of New Zealand and it's, it's a low budget film and the director uh, is Nick Gorman and Nick Gorman's a wonderful guy and I met Nick Gorman when I was working in the theatre really and um, he through that connection he asked me to write the music for um, for his film and it was just such a good time you know it was like <laughs> the best time and, that, and that's the sort of thing when you have those kind of relationships it's no matter if you're working on crazy timelines or, you know, hardly any money, it's, it's just fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And, um, I do find, I mean, I, I do find it daunting just trying to network and go out and meet people because, um, 
and I think maybe I've yet to find anybody. I'm sure there are people out there who it's, it doesn't daunt them at all, and they can just go out and do it, and, and, and it's great. And, and if those people could get in touch and give me some tips, I'd be really appreciative. Um, but I'd, I'd say start going where you know, um, you know, Nick and I. I mean, like the director of Human Traces and I were hanging out the other day. We went to. He's a member of the Film Society here in Wellington, and. Uh, there was a film in the program that's like one of my favorite films and, and he likes it as well. So we went to see it and I was just thinking, man, film society is a great place to go. If there's any equivalent in your, in your city, in your neighborhood, places mm-hmm. where people who love movies go and hang out together because um, then it's all about that shared thing about, you know, talking about this movie that you've just seen and did you like it? Did you not like it? It's a great place to jump off um, for a conversation and a really good way to you know, t- talk in the language of film and, and talk about film and talk about music. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, just surrounding your, yourself with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, for, for what it's worth, I, I just say, go and go and talk to as many people as you can and go and meet as many people as you can, because um, more than ever, it's, there's just more people making things, making movies, making I don't know, web series, making, making media, generating media. And that needs music and it needs good music. And there's lots of people out there who can provide good music. And, um, I would just say if you're, if you're looking to start off, it is no reason why it can't be you. And I wish you all the best. Absolutely. Very, uh, very powerful stuff. I, um, I, I want to thank you again. I've just got a couple more questions for you. This one I like to ask to, uh, I, I like to ask everyone, and it is sort of one of those open-ended, uh, you know, no, no right answer type okay. of, of questions, but I'd love to get your, your thoughts. Sure. And it's how do you define success, whether it's for yourself or, you know, in general, when, you, when you're working in your life, how do you define success? It's <laughs> a really good, great question. Um, Jeff, that's a really good question. I guess it's largely contextual. Um, uh, my grandfather was a was a pilot in World War II, and um, he flew Catalina re- and largely rescue missions and surveillance missions in the in the Solomon Islands. <laughs> um, wow. He talks about. He talks about one flying night missions um, and he talked about one time where they, he and his crew were flying through a storm and the storm knocked out their altimeter and it knocked out a whole lot of like um, navigation equipment as well and they got thrown around and they were going in for a landing because the plane was pretty badly damaged. And... Um, so Catalinas are, you know, they can they can land on the ocean, they can land and, and land and uh, land land on an, an on yeah. a normal runway and land. So the, the plane's been really badly wow. damaged. They don't have an altimeter. They they're in clouds, so they've got zero visibility. Zero visibility. And his navigator, my 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 grandfather's navigator, was counting down um, the uh, altitude, um, doing his best guess. Um, and I think they got to about. 
he, he, he misguided, he misjudged it anyway. And, and basically when he was down to, I think it was like, I think he was counting like 20 feet. And as he said, 20 feet cloud parted and there was the ocean and the plane went straight into the water. Um, oh. and at speed and, um, it porpoised. Oh my so God. they went down, um, underwater and then the plane put, uh, porpoise, which means that it sort of sprang out on top because the, the design of the plane, it's meant, it's meant to float once it hits. But <laughs> so no one died and the plane stayed intact. Wow. Um, and to think about that, that's, I mean, that's, you know, after flying in a mission, getting shot at and, and going through a crazy storm to crash in the ocean at speed and come out and everyone's alive. Oh. I mean, the plane was in wreck, but that's, that, that's that's success. <laughs> yeah. you know what? I've I've got to say, okay, what a humbling story. And I, you know, no insult to anyone. We we've had a lot of great answers to to that question. I think this has to top it. That's uh, that's <laughs> sick. that's that's the 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 best answer I've uh, we've we, we we've been given here. Um, <laughs> yes, I um. I think uh, definitely context and when you think about, you know, a situation like like that where, you know, those are heroics, that's um, it. It sort of puts you uh, in in a humbled place. So to to hear that, that 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 story, that's uh, any any landing you can swim away from is a good one. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And no, it 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 really uh, it it makes you think, um, you know, human beings have done incredible stuff like, like that. So, so it's sort of takes, you know, a little pressure off, off, off me. Like, no, 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 I I, I can just, (laughs) I can just do, do the best I can in in life. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all sort of in this, uh, in this together, but absolutely great, uh, Great answer there. <laughs> let me ask ask you this uh, before I, I I let you go and 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 thank you again. Can we oh. hear a little bit? Uh, you you talked about h- human traces and Ooh. wolf wolf warrior. Can you share with us some other projects uh, that you have coming up? And just let us know where people can get in touch. Uh, where can people find you on, on, online too? Well, um, you can get in touch with me. Although having said that, my website is in dire need of an upgrade. So forgive the um. Forget the messy know. website. It's www.stephengallagher.stephengallagher.co.nz. Uh, at, uh, oh, and my email is just sg at stephengallagher.co.nz. And you can email me anytime and uh if you have any questions i'll do my utmost to answer them to the best of my ability and if i'm unable to do that i will find someone or recommend someone to you who can help you out a little better um as far as stuff i've got at the moment i'm i've just finished uh, yeah f- finished human traces that was a, a great experience it was an in- in- indie feature film um set on a remote island in the southern ocean and it's it was the most fun i've had writing a score it was um Wow. It was 45 minutes of music and I, I had only had two weeks to do it and uh, a pretty limited budget, but uh, it was, um, and out of that, I think, uh, came a, 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 um, a score that Nick was very happy with. And, um, I, I certainly 
and, and very happy. It just premiered in Wellington last week uh, as part of the New Zealand International Festival. Oh, and it sounded really good. Uh, I was pretty happy with it. Um, no one threw anything, so that, that was good. Um, <laughs> the film's going to Toronto uh, as part of the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it was a great experience. Um, the other film that I've just finished up is a documentary film called Hippocratic. And I'm doing this for a, an Australian based, um, company. And the film is about a doctor in South India, uh, in the state of Kerala called, um, Raj. And he's a, he is a remarkable man. And through this film, he, discusses the Hippocratic Oath and how it relates to his practice, his community, his country and the world at large and his challenging views on and actually beautiful views on palliative care and how we treat the sick and the terminally ill. It's a really beautiful wow. film and this guy is, a, is, is um, a compelling speaker and just somebody in the, that you are, uh, you know, um, thank goodness he exists, you know, he's doing so many good things. Um, and to yeah. do the music for that was, was, uh, a real privilege and pleasure. Uh, the company got in touch with me to do the score and they wanted sort of a, like a hybrid kind of score that incorporated Indian parts of Indian music. Um, which is, you know, that's kind of a blanket term, right? That's like saying incorporate parts of classical music. It's, there's so many in, in, yeah. uh, but, but I guess mainly the sort of the Southern style of Indian classical music. So I got to work with some pretty amazing soloists and, um, I learned a great deal more about Indian music. Uh, that was a lot of music to write too. I think it was about 80 minutes of, of score, uh, and the wow. documentary is longer. Uh, so I've just finished that and, um, Looping back to, you know, people in your life who you're lucky to know, Mark, Mark Wilshire has been the score mixer on the Human Traces and Hippocratic, and man, he's just amazing. I'm sorry, it's just just such a joy sending things off into the ether into London and uh, getting them delivered back, and just being so happy with the result. Mark Wilshire is just the man. Again, sort of guy who could, uh, you know. Just um, if I dropped my phone on a, on a concrete and ran over it a couple of times with like a, I don't know, like a, an articulated lorry, he would still make it sound <laughs> just like the best thing you've ever heard, you know. Um, uh, the other thing I'm, I'm just I'm sort of working on at the moment is a, is a slasher horror film out of Vancouver called Puppet Killer, which um, <laughs> is directed by a woman called Lisa Ovis and is – hysterical it's like a comedy horror that pays tribute to all the horror films that lisa loved growing up so uh you know things like halloween nightmare on elm street all these kind of classic sort of um late 70s 80s 90s kind of um greatest hits of horror uh, but it all kind of all of the the malevolent force in this horror is a puppet called Simon. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very funny and so much fun to write a horror score. Oh my goodness. Such <laughs> uh, <laughs> the license of things you can just get away with is incredible. Um, I'll tell you, I, I have a soft spot for, uh, for the horror genre. So I'll too. definitely, what's uh, your favorite I'll, horror film, Jeff? 
No, that's that's too uh, that's that's too difficult. A, uh, a question. You know what? You know what I'll say? I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to go a, a little bit off uh, off the uh, the beaten path here. Uh, I'm I'm co-host of another podcast called oh, really? Screening Club, which is all about movies. Uh, so maybe in, in the future that 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 would be a great talk too uh, to, yeah, totally. to have you on on there, Stephen. But um, know what I'll do. Uh, a friend of the Screening Club podcast, uh, actor Colin Smith, great, great guy. Whoa. He was recently in sort of a fun, you know, making fun of the genre horror movie called Bear With Us, directed by uh, Will Str- Will Stribling, and uh, lots of uh, lots of great stuff in that movie. We got uh, awesome. the opportunity to have an early screening of that movie so is that sort of a cop-out though that i'm going with with that i've 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 got to go go with that it's a friend a friend that's that's uh, great that's not a cop-out at all i think that's fantastic i'll 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 go with that one and you know what else you you made me think of i feel like i'm the only person in the world that hasn't seen get out either i i i I haven't seen it and uh everyone's been pumping me up and uh now after you know you you spoke about how much you love the score. That's I, I'm really absolutely good. seeing that. I uh, it's on the list, and if I haven't seen it next time we talk, you have permission to uh, I don't know, do do whatever uh, to, to make to, me to weep to weep openly. Is that, is yeah. that okay. yeah. Well, no, I, I hope you enjoy it. I, I it blew me away. I I thought Michael Abel's score was um was one of the, the best things I'd heard in a long time, and uh, I, yeah. Uh, and the internet being the marvelous thing it is, when I typed his name into the search engine, it came up with all of his other contemporary music that I'd never heard before. And honestly, he's a formidably good composer. Like, um, yeah, that's uh, wow. yeah. So I mean, I hope you enjoy the film. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's a good time. I uh, my favorite. I think oh, yeah. I always like the ring. I really like. I've always liked the ring. The ring. That is. Oh. I can't. That really is is one of my my favorites too. I I don't want to spoil anything here. You know, people don't come to this podcast to get movie spoiled. But oh. no, afterwards, we can talk about. I, I I have a a moment in that movie that I I absolutely love. Um, and I will say this. I I want to say this. A, everyone, uh, go uh, check out St- Stephen's website, which we'll put in the in the show notes uh it is not nearly as bad as he's made it out to be i've seen a whole whole lot lot, lot worse um I, I will also say uh <laughs> off of his website you can check out his soundcloud uh and i was checking that out and you have a lot of your stuff on there and just a great composer and lots of cool stuff on there so i would really uh recommend checking that out and listening to steven stuff and know what not only a great composer a great editor but a great guy uh and it's been uh, a pleasure talking uh <laughs> and i hope uh, i hope that you'll 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 come back jeff I, it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for having me and look i think uh your podcasts are um, amazing thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to to uh to be a part of it and look man if you're ever down this way in new zealand just look me up and uh let, let's uh let's go out uh, <laughs> no, no, you know what no you know you can't say that because i will take you up on it i oh, am man, the kind of guy do. i will take you up on it please All do right. any, any of your listeners are ever ever in uh, ever in new zealand and uh yeah just look me up if i'm around um yeah <laughs> let's awesome go absolutely and uh we'll make sure to post all of your links in the show notes thank you again and uh you have a great day okay thanks so much 